As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to a new season, not just a new season of the Vancouver Canucks, but a new season of the VanCast, Farhan Longy, Thomas Drance, and Harmon Dahl with you today. It's not always going to be the dream team, all three of us, but uh, we're excited to get this one kicked off right now for the 2022-2023 Vancouver Canucks season. Uh, you saw the promo, Drancer. You saw uh, Harmon. You know, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I wouldn't, when I had the idea to do this thing, I kept thinking of like early early harm right so early harm i mean the guy's 24 years old so i am thinking of harm when he was 20 first getting started in this thing and he was the skinny little guy and he shows up and he's kind of jacked and very jacked he's very jacked he, he fit on a football field in a football setting but there was no drancher why weren't you in the promo other than the maniacal laugh well i'm glad i wasn't because i i saw lucky whitehead take some shots at you guys on twitter <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I, I'm good at avoiding controversy. It's the old PR guy in me, uh, Farhan. Sorry, wait a minute. You're good at avoiding <laughs> controversy. <laughs> Clearly, we don't want you on the show anymore. Yeah, I, and look, you know, a lot of people have been asking us, right? What's going on? What's going on with the VanCast? When's it coming back? I even got some of it in Penticton. Um, people asking, uh, what's up with the VanCast, answer? So, we're, we're going to explain ourselves and we're going to chart a pl plan for this upcoming season because I am stepping back a bit here. And, you know, that that's a work life balance thing, but it's not goodbye. Right. First of all, I reserve the right to uh, rev back up uh, if I if I find that I have the time to do so. Um, but also, I'm I, you know, I love talking with you, Farhan. I love dealing with the VIPs. Everyone knows that I love dealing with harm too. And so at least a couple times a month, 
you and I are going to jump on those those chats, right? Those live chats that we've been doing, and those will live after the fact as a, a VanCast episode a couple times a month. Uh, I had so much fun doing those, and I thought we were really just scratching the surface uh, of the potential of that medium, particularly after free agency when I was still recovering in a Montreal hotel room from COVID, and we had Kevin Bieksa drinking wine with us for 90 minutes. Like That was, that was a highlight of my season. It was so fun. I want to do more of that, so we're going to do a couple of those a month. And other than that, you and Harmon are going to become the standard bearers. And I, I just want to note, you know, and and thank, like a note of thanks to the VIPs who have listened to the VanCast over the course of the past three years. You know, this show, which started with me and JPAT and and our producer Jeff Demet, uh, you know, that was like our original Triforce <laughs> working on this show. We worked really hard to two episodes during the pandemic. Uh, we grew during the pandemic. We did like four shows a week or every other day when I was in the bubble in Edmonton. And those were some like lonely, difficult times. And the VanCast meant a lot to me, like to do it meant a lot to me, to work with that team meant a lot to me. And then to get the response that we got over the years, right, to, to everything from the gumbet to you know, name that Canuck, uh, all, just all of the goofy gags that we came up with. Um, you know, it, it honestly, the, the show meant a lot to me and it was a really hard decision over the course of the summer to take something of a step back, but I had to do it for work-life balance reasons. I, I think if you follow my work closely enough, you might've noticed like I maybe was even a little more crabby than usual last season. I needed to put my <laughs> life into better balance. And, and, and so, and so this is sort of how we've decided to approach that. Um, but you know, I want to thank you Farhan for joining us last year when, when Jeff, uh, departed, I had a, I had a blast talking over you, uh, constantly and, and, you know, allowing you to pretend that the Mariners don't suck. Um, you know, that wow, was look at you. They actually have a better run differential than the blue Jays. And when the Mariners are in the playoffs, you are going to be coming on regularly so that I can laugh <laughs> at you. I mean, they're definitely making the playoffs, but they also might. I mean, they're also going to fade here over the last 15 games with all the injuries that they've got and how their bullpen has no completely chance. flatlined. Um, um, no, oh, no, for sure. Just 100%. I mean, do they have Julio? No, right? Julio's hey, out. You, like, I'm just saying. You, you, you told me you to, Julio will be back. You, you told He'll me be back to the playoffs. They were nowhere. You told me they oh, were no. nowhere they've exceeded, close. They've exceeded my expectations without question. I'll own that. They're going to make, they're going to play, you know, a wild card game at least. They're going to be in the wild card spot. Uh, but they're not going to be hosting, and and we know that they're going to fade over the last twenty games just because of their injuries and uh, and how their we, bullpen is trended. We'll, we'll 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 let you have no. Even we'll, Mariners we'll fans know that. To... Even Mariners fans know that. I've accepted that they're good. I was actually hoping because the Mariners always let me and everyone down else down. I was really hoping that they'd hold on to that first wild card spot so that the Blue Jays could come into Seattle for for that three game series and I could drive down. But of course, now the Mariners are fading and. They can't even do that. They can't even do that for me when I finally was like, okay, you know, be in that first wildcard spot so that the Blue Jays come and play a three game series so I can drive down. They couldn't even do that for me. Um, the Mariners. You, you'd be, you'd be, a you'd be a lonely, what a, you'd be a lonely what DC a, fan going down a, there. Oh yeah, I'm sure. You'd be a lonely there, there'd Jays only be one there. Jays fan. <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be filling up. They would have uh, restrictions on who could purchase tickets. Absolute, oh, absolute takeover. It would be perfect. absolute takeover. Anyway, no chance. You know it. You know it. And so, and oh, so, you know, do okay, they've had sellouts. They have had sellouts a lot during the stretch. 
and you'd yeah. be hard pressed. You'd be paying. You'd be paying uh, prime time Seahawk prices to get into a Mariner game as a Blue Jays fan, I, and I'd be happy to do it because Blue Jays fans love their team. Anyway. <laughs> well, since, since, you're, since you're on your way out the door we'll let you have your, your little slice anyway you can... I had a blast doing the show with you and I'm really excited to see what you and Harmon do together uh, you know two of the sharpest <laughs> guys covering this team um, you guys are going to have awesome chemistry I'm sure right off the bat and I think the van cast is going to be in great hands and of course for those of you uh, upset to see me leave um, you know I'm, I'm going to be on there's been no announcement yet. So for now, for now, you know, Canucks Hour is coming back. Uh, Canucks Hour Extended actually launches today. So it's a it's a two hour show uh, today and through the rest of this week, we'll we'll be going live from training camp and expect an announcement on on the plans for uh, Canucks Hour Extended in the in the coming days or it might take a week, uh, but it's but it's nigh like it's coming soon. Um, so, you know, check out Canucks hour on your, on your podcast feed, subscribe. You'll be able to track me there, um, you know, for, for at least an hour a day, uh, every day, Monday to Friday. And, uh, and of course we appreciate your support of the athletic. We appreciate your support of the athletic Vancouver of the work me and harm do on the writing side. I, I, it, it's meant so much to me to do the van cast, um, and to have your support and, and the way that the show was received in this market when I returned back in 2019, um, and you know, I'm excited to keep engaging with, with you guys in that sort of, um, live room format that I've come to really fall in love with at the athletic. Uh, those will be with me and Farhan. We'll have Harmon drop by here and there. Uh, but now, now while we've got the three of us, right, right. Well, we've got the new Triforce, sorry, Demet, <laughs> let's talk Canucks for a minute. Yeah, let's do it. You guys were in Penticton, right? So for me, I haven't had a chance, as, as you saw in the promo, right? Like, there's certain things I do and there's certain things I don't do. And going up to a, a prospects tournament is just not something I do while it's still football season. So uh, you, you guys had a chance to go and be regaled and wowed by some of these young guys. So let's start there before we get into your expectations of this team. So I want to ask, I'm going to interview Harmon for a sec. Harmon, good take or bad take? The Canucks prospect team played really well. Does this mean that all the smoke about the Canucks having a weak prospect system is overblown? Bad take. Bad take. Dreadser, you know this. Why? Explain it. Well, for starters, I mean, we went through the math and and we looked at it and and I can't believe you set me up to be Mr. Negative right off the top. My first first words on the VADcast. Um, But no, in all seriousness, obviously, I mean... Canucks have an older side and you look at, and, and we actually did this looking at the U20 and U21 um, talent and the number of players. Uh, Canucks had uh, had, an, had an older team with Carlson and Oman and, and Baines and, and a lot of these guys that have spent extensive time in, um, in playing pro, whether it be in Sweden or in the American League. So I'm really glad that they so while I'm really glad that they performed well and they exceeded my expectations by winning those couple of games and being competitive um, through till the end through through till at least the third period against Edmonton um, and while there were some impressive individual performances some guys that uh, have definitely landed on my radar I don't think it uh, all of a sudden changes the landscape for the Canucks prospect pipeline. What about Klimovich, though? You've got a 19-year-old in Klimovich who was, for me, their best player at the tournament. Did, did he show you anything that changes how you regard 
him or or even just changes a little bit how you regard his upside? He did, honestly, because I look back at his rookie season and because it was such a challenging learning curve with with uh, Klimovich, we rarely see an 18-year-old sort of stick in the AHL, especially someone coming over from Belarus, learning a new language, the culture shock of that, new team teammates adjusting to the North, America, North American style. I think everybody expected some level of inconsistency, highs and lows, and we kind of saw that in, in his first year. So after that, it was a matter of and and when Ryan Johnson came on the podcast towards the end of last season, he mentioned, hey, I'm expecting a big year from Klimovich, a substantial sort of breakout uh, now that he's kind of got his feet wet already in year one. And so going into this tournament, especially because the competition level, it's a mix of American League guys, but also junior level players. So it's a, it's a little bit lower than what you get from a typical AHL environment. I, I wanted to see Klimovich... Um, have a couple of standout performances. And I think the first game was a little bit quiet, but in the last two, he was he was dominant. And you saw the high ceiling potential if everything hits. Obviously, he's a big body. He's got tremendous hands. And the thing that I really liked in the last couple of games was his playmaking and the way that he was able to sort of see the ice, which hasn't always been a strength of his game, consistently mm. find the back door both at 5 on 5 and the power play and obviously he set up he set up a gorgeous uh, a gorgeous assist but also he was just finding that seam again and again and that to me was we saw that in flashes in Abbotsford in, in little spurts but really even though there is still so many raw parts of his game and he's got to improve sometimes his decision making and um, obviously defensively there's still a lot of work to be done I came away from this tournament looking at uh, Klimovich and being like, okay, still got a lot of work, work to do rounding out his game, but for a 19-year-old to to play this well, I look at him out, outside of LeCaramacchi as the Canucks' uh, prospect is, is having the highest ceiling as a potential impact contributor, um, if everything hits. Yeah, I mean, we ranked him right before the tournament behind Jack Rathbone, third in the Canucks system. Did he show you enough that you'd consider consider wondering like, eh, did we get that right? Did we get that right, Harmon? We'll find out in in actually uh, about a month. I think or we so. got it wrong, man. I'm gonna be honest with you. I was impressed enough that I think we got it wrong. I think I think Klimovich's upside. I think I was sleeping a little bit on Klimovich's upside. Like I, I think I think the upside there probably is enough to present a pretty good case for him as the second prospect in the system. Yeah, on an upside basis, for sure, especially because Rathbone's obviously on the older side as a prospect. He's got less runway to develop and grow. But either way, we're going to find out within the next month or so anyway, because for Rathbone, it's kind of... I don't want to say it's its a make or break, but it's time. Like, he has to. It's do or die time. Yeah, it is. It, You're right. If he's going if, to... If he doesn't... Yeah. Yeah, like you go. If he's going to be anything at the NHL level, anything meaningful beyond just a depth role guy... He's going to show it this season. Like it's it's that age for him, as opposed to Klimovich, Klimovich who's what like f- almost four years younger. And for him to stick at the American League level last year and show the flashes that he did, um, and in this tournament, look a cut above at times uh, relative to the to the rest of his peers. That was enormously impressive. And uh, again, it's just it's really rare to see a guy who's that big has that kind of hands. Um, he needs to improve his skating, but he, as a baseline, moves pretty well. It's not as if he 
um, as if his pace is, is an obvious issue. Um, and just kind of see that, all right, he's got some playmaking upside too. Like that's, that's a really tantalizing package. I think his playmaking is more advanced than his shot. I think we've talked a lot about his shot. I think the market's talked a lot about his shot. I've heard a lot about his shot from industry sources. I watched that shot and for, in terms of the selection, in terms of the accuracy, I think there's a lot of work actually to be done there. Whereas seeing the pop passes, um, you know, obviously his natural attacking instincts are, are pretty special. You know, I think about that play where he, you know, um, adjusted his route to the outside, cut inside, nutmegs uh, uh, Tyrell Bauer, the, the Winnipeg Jets mature prospect. Um, you know, that's like a really nice attacking move. Used his A-frame well. Uh, there's a lot to like, but the shot's not accurate yet. It's hard. He has good attacking instincts, but he also shoots um, from bad angles a lot, like a lot. Um, I think the playmaking is more advanced than the shot, which was something I wasn't expecting uh, before those three live viewings. Yeah, I didn't expect it either. Again, I saw spurts of it in Abbotsford, like one of the games that I was at last year. He, I remember him getting in on the four check. And, and that's the other part too, is because he's such a, uh, s- such a physical specimen, if he can become more assertive away from the puck and really up his work rate, he can do thing plays like last year where he gets in on the four check, uh, wins a battle, and right from below the goal line makes a, makes a quick pop pass right into the slot. And that ended up being the assist on the game tying goal for Abbotsford in that, in, in that, uh, in that contest. And, um, Plays like that really sort of opened opened my eye, but that's where, of course, you are going to need to see some improvement. In there are situations where he could continue to use his passing more, uh, and I we remember looking at uh, a two on one rush in the first game, for example, where he had a bad angle to shoot from, but he had a teammate on the two on one that he could have slid across, and um, he went for the shot instead. But when he when he sort of evaluates his options. He can get from point A to point B, and he's really good east-west specifically, which is the most yeah. dangerous type of passing, right? The to get a goalie moving in his crease, in his crease across like that, it's it's a really challenging uh, shot to stop if you can sort of have that um, pre-shot movement. Um, Linus right, guys, Carlson, listen, I'm gonna cut, I'm gonna cut you off because we only have a certain amount of time with Drancer. Uh, Harm, I will ask you about some of these other prospects on the other side because <laughs> uh, Drancer's going to go and go and go, and then we're going to be. Not, I, I got to get Drancer's takes on this team this season so we have, have them on the record. So that you know, because you know Drancer, right? Like if you say it long enough, eventually it becomes right. So we got to get <laughs> we got to get your early takes right now on what this thing is going to look like so Demet can save this receipt. Okay, let's go. All right, let's go. Tell me how this team finishes. Are we going to see a Canuck team in the playoffs? I I think it's close. Like, I think it's a pick them. You know, I I honestly would weight it as like 45% chance to make the playoffs, 55% chance to miss. And so, you know, like if I had to say it today, and and I want to be clear, I want to wait to see how training camp goes a little bit. You know, I think the Canucks are still weighing their options uh, on the on the back end. Um, You know, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Canucks had had kicked the tires pretty, pretty strenuously on on uh, Lindqvist or, or Lundqvist, who moved to Dallas for a first round pick and judged that that price was too high. Uh, I saw Ian McIntyre report the Ethan Bear thing. Right. So I'm pretty confident that they're going to do what they can to upgrade this defensive group further 
uh, use the waiver wire, uh, potentially try to move out one of those middle class contracts. Like those are all things I'm still expecting the Canucks to work on uh, before the start of the season. So I want to see what they can accomplish uh, in that area. Um, Bruce Boudreau, I don't, no one's ever made a lick of money betting against Bruce Boudreau in the regular season. And, you know, I, I do think the vibes here, I do think the talent here, I do think the goaltending here, I do think the power play here, like that should be enough to get into the playoffs. I just don't have a good enough sense of Vegas, right? Like Vegas could be an 85 point team or they could be a 115 point team and neither outcome would surprise me, right? Like they're such a wild card here. And the Kings, I think, are improved and so fast north-south, but I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to sustain what they did last year unless they score more. But there's a lot of things that could go right for them with Fiala added to their attack and then a ton of forwards. Like, I won't be stunned if if Quinton Byfield's a really good, like, 45, 50-point forward next year. And if he is, they're in the playoffs for sure. So, you know, it's almost for me less about Vancouver and more about what happens around them, because I think Vancouver should be better than they were last year in the mid 90s to to like, you know, I'd put their range is like 94 to 98 points. That's sort of well, that's a pretty narrow range. Let's go 94, 94 to 100 points. That's where I expect the Canucks to be. And that, you know, should make the playoffs, except the playoff bar was 98 points in the West. Like it was 98 points in the West last year. So. Um, you know, they're in a division with two of the teams that I expect to be among the worst in the league in San Jose and Arizona, right? Um, they're going to, all of the Pacific division teams are going to fatten up on those guys. Uh, plus Seattle, if Seattle doesn't get goaltending a lot better than they got last year. Um, you know, I I won't be stunned to see five uh, playoff teams from the, from the Pacific division at, at the end of the season. And so, you know, I see the Canucks as a fringe playoff team. Um, I see them as a strong contender for a wildcard spot, and I'm really reluctant to make a playoff pick today. You know, I want to see how what? training camp unfolds. I want to see how the vibes look. I want to see what the, what else they do before the, the season begins. The vibes. No. no, you know what? Last year, last year, Farhan and, and Harmon will Harmon will back me up here because I wasn't super public about it because I didn't want to be a jerk out the gate. But as training camp unfolded and as the Sutter and Hamannick weirdness really set in and as I watched the team throughout camp and the Brady keeper injury and just like sort of observed it and again Harmon will back me up because he watches every practice with me and I talk throughout them um you know I became convinced that this team was hosed right because of the penalty kill I was like this is going to be a disaster a disaster and I and I, I I thought that and I I knew that pretty with a, with a good level of confidence before the season began and for 25 games anyway, that was dead on. Um, I should have been more explicit about it, but I was taking so much, so many bullets in the market for being negative already. I didn't want to leave the team for dead before the and season. And for being a Blue Jay fan. Okay, so, <laughs> so now we, we know what I want to see the vibes. So, I want to see the vibes. All right. I, I, I never thought I'd hear you, you know, being a, an analytics guy talk vibes, but okay, we'll go there. I love it. Um, let's, before we go, before we let you go quickly, Bo Horvat, what's the latest there? Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty close to the vest. You know, we've dealt with these before with uh, with Pat Morris and the Canucks on the Markstrom front. Uh, here's what I would say. I would say there was optimism early in this in the summer about 
uh, framework, a mutually acceptable framework for what a deal could look like once they got down to brass tacks. Now, once they got down to brass tacks, they couldn't get to a place where the team was comfortable closing the deal. But the fact that there was a, a comfort level early in the summer suggests to me that the, there was at no point an opening offer that would have offended Bo Horvat, right? Um, with Morris, typically speaking, these things don't get very dramatic or personal, right? I think the Markstrom offers from the Canucks were really low, and that was never a problem in terms of Markstrom's role on the team or how he performed or how he tried to play through injury in the bubble, right? Like, I, I will be stunned. The thing that would surprise me the most about this is if there's any source of, like, any real tension or unhappiness going into training camp, regardless of whether or not this is resolved this week or not. I, I, that I'm very skeptical about. Um, and I'm very skeptical about uh, about the idea that the Canucks would have begun or uh, begun negotiations with a low number, even if a, a deal in the high fives would be sort of in line with where the center market evolved to this summer with the Trocheck and Strom deals. Right. Um, you know, I would be surprised if that was sort of the number that they'd started with since both sides for sure felt pretty comfortable and confident early on in the summer. Early on this summer, there was a lot of confidence that to me suggests that there wasn't an opening number that would have um, bothered Bo Horvat. So that's my basic read on the situation. I think that with Miller done, the Canucks are unlikely to move aggressively to close the way that they did with both Besser and Miller. And so I won't be shocked if this drags out a little bit. I, I, I would be a little bit surprised if a deal was done this week um, and sort of and, and we'll see where it goes. But I, I would also be I would be flabbergasted if there was real tension going into training camp at this juncture. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Bo handles it relative to how Pedersen and Quinn Hughes have handled it relative to how JT Miller handled all the discussion around his future and potential trades during last season. Yeah, um, there's less it, discussion, it, it, though. There's less discussion. Like Miller, the Miller trade thing was no one ever shut up about it, you know, and no, me but included. They, but that's, there's less discussion today, but that's going to change as we go here if things don't get done. And certainly I believe that there's less pressure. The, the organization believes there's less pressure on themselves to get Bo done because JT is done. Because there was a real fear of potentially losing both. That fear is gone. So in your words, they're not going to aggressively move to close like yep. they would have had JT not been done. I think that's very accurate uh, in this particular situation. So uh, we'll see where it goes well, uh, once, we'll see. once the regular can... season starts, right? I mean, if we don't have this done at the start of the regular season... People are going to talk about it more, just the way it works in this marketplace. Well, and I, I again, I think they're going to try and move money still, right? Like they're going to keep trying to move money. And now they're not going to be able to move money for nothing. Like they're not going to be able to move money without taking money back. But if you can move a two-year deal and take back a one-year deal, right? That for, from the perspective of a, of Bo Horvat talks, that does change yep. things, right? No so, um, you know, I, I won't be stunned if uh, if they you know, change their tune on moving to close either based on what they can accomplish on the trade market over the next six months. I know they've been very conservative. Um, you know, uh, do you remember there used to be a, a phrase in this market, Stan Pat Quinn, when he wasn't very busy? <laughs> and then there, and then there was stay still Gill. Well, we can do Stan Pat Alvin. Like it's been a, it's been a very conservative start to the Alvin era. Uh, but, you know, this is still a team with Jim Rutherford as the president of hockey operations, right? Like, don't be surprised if there's some gunslinging at some point here. Uh, and, you know, if there is, that could open up some money for, for a Horvat extension. And that and that could maybe change their stance 
in terms of moving aggressively to close. So what we're going to see, uh, you know, I heard Friedman report that there wasn't a ton of progress. Uh, that that's probably right. I, I mean, I, I, I Friedman always knows his stuff. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I'd be pretty surprised if we got a deal quickly, but I'd be more surprised if there was any real source of tension in the lead up to training camp. Um, just considering how this has played out uh, over the course of the summer, the optimism that existed originally, and the way that Pat Morris of Newport Sports, who represents Bo Horvat, typically operates, which is, you know, uh, tends to be pretty drama free, even when negotiations are full contact behind the scenes. All right, good stuff. Listen, we're going to let you go. Uh, again, Drancer will make regular appearances on the live room, which we'll probably do maybe every couple of weeks. Uh, I think we're going to, looking to get our first live room in uh, at some point next week. So we'll get you posted yep. on that. And that should be a lot of fun. But, uh, hey, buddy, thanks for doing this. We will see you at the rink, and uh, uh, good luck with your show. And good thank, luck to the you. Mariners, and we hate the Blue Jays. <laughs> this, hey. is a Jays this is officially a Jays-free zone now. <laughs> hey, you guys have fun together. Um, take care. Take care of, uh, of my baby. Take care of the VanCast. Take care of the VIPs. Uh, stick with these guys. These guys are two of the best. I love these guys, and I'm excited to listen myself uh, as you guys get going. So best of luck to you. Uh, you know, a, a blessing to you both and, and a big thank you to to Jeff Demet behind the scenes, uh, an indispensable part of the VanCast and now the last surviving original member uh, of the program. Um, Demet is close to my heart. He's done a, he's done a fabulous job and he'll still be uh, pushing the buttons and make and keeping you guys on the rails. So with Demet involved, I know it'll be good. Uh, plus, you guys are there and you guys are the best, too. So best of luck to the three. Yeah. Thanks, Trent. So I'll be sure to keep on your Blue Jays uh, legacy here. <laughs> Let's no, go! You're, you're, Let's you're go! Out. You're, you're Blue Jays out. over Mariners. No, it's gonna, <laughs> and I, I can't have Demet do the show because he's in the Eastern Time Zone. So I'll have to, I'll have to figure that out too. You, you, right. you, like most Mariners fans in Vancouver, Farhan, you continue to be hopelessly outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it'll this this is the year all of that changes. No chance. All right, we will uh, we will we'll let you have the last laugh and maniacal laugh and out the door. <laughs> Cheers, bud. Bye. All right. Uh, that's that's how I had to get him out. That's how I had to get rid of Jay's talk. Because uh, see, I can talk over harm. I can't talk over transfer. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Drancer, I know you guys got uh, deep into D uh, Danila Klimovich, but there were a few other names I wanted to ask you about. you just about. call me Drancer? Uh, yeah, that was going to happen at some point. Wasn't the first. Probably won't be the last. Oh, my Because God. I've just, I've got this natural twitch Drancer's given to me when he's talked over me. So, I I apologize. You're much better looking. Uh, you're much, uh, you've got more hair on the top of your head. Um <laughs> 
and uh, your your laugh is less maniacal. So hey, look, uh, don't take offense. Other than the fact that you're a Blue Jay fan, you're you're nothing like Drancer. Uh, so and, and you know you can't even be a legitimate Blue Jay fan because you weren't even born when they won the World Series. So don't even go there with me. But um, I, I apologize. Uh, we we'll we'll work through this together, my friend. We will work through this together. Uh, but you you do need to come up with your own, you know, your buzzwords, right? Because we already got industry sources in the last segment, you know, all the pretentious trance lines. So you're going to have to come up with your own pretentious harmon lines. So it, it becomes easier for me to just n- to not have that nervous twitch. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have to come up with something. Um, it's it's a high leverage uh, play here for me to come up with uh, with my own terms. So because clearly anything can happen. I agreed. Agreed. Anything can happen. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get into the the tournament a little bit more. Um, and before we dive into training camp, but um, Linus Carlson, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, from the clips that I've seen and from the you know reports that I've read that that he actually looked very good. And the reason I ask about him is because he's a little bit older, and we always talk about those guys that are going to be the next guys to get the call up. And I'm not sure that Danilo Klimovich is going to be the next the first guy to get the call up when they need a top nine forward. But Linus Carlson could be. Uh, what'd you make of his performance? Yeah, I mean, if you Watched it strictly from the perspective of did he play well? Uh, play well at the tournament, one hundred percent he did, and I think we saw a lot of attributes that will translate really well at, at the North American Pro level in terms of his two way details and how he the, the way he's just able to positionally stay above the puck, the reads that he's able to make. He's always in the right spot. Um, always takes very smart angles and routes, and that's an important thing if you're um, not a, not exactly a burner is being able to take efficient routes to close time and space. In addition to that, he showed some soft skills as well. Uh, I mean, there was one play in one of the games where he had a backhand pass through the legs to set up a scoring chance, and there were flashes of skill here and there. And the other thing that stands out about him is just He's such a beast at protecting the puck through traffic, which again is important because when you don't have a separation gear um, as a skater, you're going to be under duress. Uh, Guys are going to close quickly on you. So you're going to need to know how to position your body, use your strength to um, to kind of keep defenders off of your back. Now, in having said all of that and and in having recognized that scored a couple goals, um, overall looked really good, I still can't get over the fact that he looked a little slow skating wise at the tournament because again the competition level there was a mix of AHL and junior and his stride really looked labored there and I worry that when we're talking about the NHL and the pace ramps up significantly compared to what we saw at uh, at Penticton Young Stars I don't I still think we're going to need to see significant progress in Carlson's skating for him to be able to make an impact because even there were moments where he looked a little bit um, uncomfortable making plays um, in open ice. There were a couple of uh, neutral zone sequences where um, the starts and stops in particular, he'd be a little bit slow off off his feet and he might turn a puck over or something. And I just, I worry about how that, uh, how that's going to translate because everything else you see, you see so many NHL qualities in his game but if you can't skate, if you can't move, then the other parts aren't going to matter. And so um, we'll see how much that can progress in Abbotsford. If it does, if he continues to make strides in his skating, then he could be a viable sort of second half um, depth recall sort of option. 
right now, I, I just I was left a little bit disappointed by his skating. Let's fast forward. There were a few of the names I wanted to ask you about, Archie Baines, among others. But let's fast forward into training camp. Is there any young player, players that we that aren't on the obvious when we put together our depth chart? So I'm not talking about a Will Lockwood. Uh, are there, number one, is there room? Because I don't think there is. I think the organization is so set with who they've brought in. I don't think there's really room for a young player that we're not currently talking about to make this team. Do you see any of these guys knocking on the door for day one? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think in terms of the guys, the tournament... I think uh, Oman could be interesting. He didn't really have a standout tournament, but when you look at his the qualities of his game, I think he's a little bit more ready to potentially make an impact right away because here's the other thing about Oman, and, and it surprised me a little bit. He's a lot bigger than I would have thought. Like He looks just as big as, uh, as Carlson, which is uh, a significant asset. Um, but the key differentiating factor is he he moves well. He gets up and uh, up and down the ice fast, and in the in the ceiling for Oman isn't as high as it is for Carlson because Carlson's such he was such a prolific goal scorer in Sweden, and Oman just doesn't have that robust offensive game in him. But if we're talking about challenging for a depth role, I think Oman has more translatable qualities right away. But definitely, I mean, he's still on the outside looking in. And if we're talking about sort of dark horses that could surprise at training camp and and maybe um and maybe contend for a spot. I mean, I'd I'd more so be looking at a guy like Sheldon Rise who in his cup of coffee last season at the NHL, he he impressed me. He looked like a guy who in that sample at least uh, that sample at least um stuck out really well. He he's obviously a little bit on the smaller side, but the way he's he's got this non-stop motor. He closed on pucks really quickly. Um, seemed to drive play a little bit, and and dis- and and despite not being the biggest guy, he he played a, a little bit more of a physical style. So I wonder if Drys can carry the momentum from last season. But I mean, you look at the numbers game. There's just so much competition for um for that for the fourth line right now, right? You've got Dakota Joshua, who when you have an organization commit multiple years of term and a one way commitment for a fringe sort of. NHL, AHL sort of bubble guy, that shows you right off the bat that they really strongly believe that he's an NHLer. So I think Joshua's got obviously got an inside track right now um, in terms of fourth line spot. We'll see what happens with Dickinson, right? He's still an NHL body. Um, there's drives, um, even even down to guys like D. Giuseppe and Dowling. There's just so much competition that when you discuss some of the guys um, that played at the prospect tournament, um, I think it's going to be tough for them to challenge. The one standout that I really want to mention, though, Tristan Nielsen. He's going to. I think he's going to take take some time. Um, he, but he was such a standout in the first couple of games. He's got some Antoine Roussel to his game, man. Um, the way that he's just this firecracker on the ice, uh, ball of energy, really annoying to play against. He's got some underrated skill. Um, I wonder if he could get an ELC down the line. But right now, when I look at Guys at that tournament that could contend for um, an NHL spot out of camp, uh, out of camp right away. Um, I just think there's too much competition. Yeah, I agree with you. And when you look at names like Dowling and Drys and D Giuseppe, I mean, I, I think I don't see any of those guys in the opening day roster, which means they're going to be knocking at the door to always be a, available. And they're the easy solution to p- plug in for two to three games, right? Um, you know, especially in a bottom uh, bottom line role. Um, as I look at the rosters, we transition a little bit into training camp. A couple names I want to throw at you. And the one, see, like I look at a player like, um, you know, like I said, I'd mentioned earlier, a guy like Will Lockwood. 
as somebody who could, with his skill set, I think could be a really good fourth liner coming out of the gate and and be a regular contributor for this team. And then, you know, it, it depends on who the who they kind of deem the 13th forward, because I think we all know who the top nine are, right? The one name that I want to get into a little bit um, before we take our next break is Nils Hoaglander. Now, when you look at who they've signed and when you look at how last season ended and when you look at what's projected to be a top nine, I don't know that I see Nils Hoaglander there. If you're projecting what's going to happen right now, does Nils Hoaglander have a spot to win or a spot to lose? Like what, what's got to happen for him to stay with the big club? Because quite honestly, I if I was betting today, I think Nils Hoaglander has got to have an incredible camp and preseason to stay with the big club. I think there's a real chance that he winds up getting sent down to start the season. Agreed. I'm with you there. And there's a couple of factors at, at play. Number one is you've got to remember the first impression that he had on the coaching staff because while we still vividly remember what Hoaglander was capable of in his rookie season, sort of making the team out of camp right away and being this top six force from day one and playing difficult minutes alongside Bo Horvat, Bruce Boudreau wouldn't have been around for that. And obviously, he'll have known about it. He'll have had conversations about it. But Boudreau's first impression of Hoaglander was what we saw last season. And let's make no mistake about it. As much as I like Niels Hoaglander, as much as I'm high on his ceiling, and as much as I um, adamantly refute the idea that they should ever sort of... Um, sort of um, trade low on him when names like Ethan Bear, for example, pop up. That was not a good first impression that he had on Boudreaux last season. We saw the minutes decline significantly because when you remember the first sort of week of games when when Boudreaux took over, Hoaglander and Pod Colson were right up there in terms of leading the team in ice time. Boudreaux was giving them an early opportunity. Pod Colson obviously got his opportunities as the season went on. But Hoaglander with his, I think, defensive um, mishaps and not being able to bury chances and some bounces going going against him, he wasn't able to create enough offense. There were too many defensive warts to where he just kept sliding down the lineup. And there was a long stretch where he was 12th or 13th among Canucks forwards in average ice time. So you have that sort of level of deployment, which already tells you something. And then you add a bunch of bodies to that um, equation with uh, Mikheyev and Kuzmenko and Pod Colson taking another step. It's it's going to be really tough, especially because the second second element is it's not just that Hoaglander has to fit in the top nine. It's that he plays a specific sort of identity or role that isn't the... It, you're going to have to accommodate it is kind of what I mean. I'm sure Boudreaux looks at Hoaglander right now and says, with this defensive game, he probably needs to be in a little, in a little bit more of a sheltered role. He's not um, sort of a player that I can have on any line. He's obviously undersized as well. And so for that reason, there are guys like, for example... And Andre Kuzmenko probably also needs to be sheltered. And you can only have so many wingers that you need to deploy carefully in your top in your top uh, top nine. Especially when you also look at like, for example, Connor Garland sort of plays a similar style as this undersized, um, really crafty, uh, great on his edges sort of uh, sort of winger. Is uh, like you don't have you're going to have to accommodate. And, and and when you think of potential line combinations as well. Like a lot, like a lot of people look at, for example, Tanner Pearson and say, "Well, couldn't Hoaglander step up and sort of beat out Pearson?" And and maybe that's a possibility if he has a monster camp. The problem that I see with that is 
Pearson is just so versatile, and he is one of the rare wingers on this roster right now that Boudreaux will be able to trust in um, in a matchup role, in hard minutes, that Boudreaux can trust that Pearson can play on any line and that he can be a reliable defensive piece, which is important because when you look at a guy like, for example, um, JT Miller, and you're thinking about which wingers could potentially fit best with him, we know Miller is prolific offensively, but we also know that he, that playing the middle, just because he hasn't had as much experience doing it over the last three seasons, he can have his um, he can have his defensive shortcomings. And if you're a coaching staff, you're going to be way more um, comfortable playing Pearson in that sort of role, knowing that he can make up for some of those de- uh, make, make up for some of those defensive inconsistencies. And guys like Pearson, who just never make a mistake, who never turn the puck over at the offensive blue line, who always get the puck out. Uh, along the walls in the defensive zone, who always track back on um, uh, on the back on on the back check, they just always seem to get more rope with uh, with coaches. So for that reason, I think Hoaglander's in really tough. And if he doesn't crack the top nine, then I think the best spot is for him to be in the American League. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into a couple of these other forwards and also the possibility of Quinn Hughes playing on the right side. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So before we get to Quinn Hughes, what are your biggest battles that you're watching right now going into camp? Well, it's not necessarily a, a, a battle so much outside of, I mean, we talked about the fourth line a little bit. And I think with the, I mean, if we talk about the forward group for a second here, I'm more interested to see, like, I think it's a battle to just get into the top nine. It's not necessarily about a battle to play with this specific center on this specific line necessarily that you'd be gunning for if you're one of the forwards, one of the scoring forwards trying to make an impact because the team's just deeper. I mean, if you look at this Canucks um, lineup right now up front and you've got, which we expect, Miller, Patterson, and Horvat down the middle, it doesn't matter if you're on line one. It doesn't matter if you're on line three. As long as you're inside the top nine, you're going to be in a great spot to create offense. All three of those lines, I think, are going to play relatively even minutes. There isn't this stratified top six, bottom six sort of um, uh, environment that, that there has been in years past, right? Because I look at, for example, uh, training camp in 2021, and it was like Nils Hoaglander had to make the top six or or had to win the spot next to Horvat because if he didn't, the bottom six was just constructed in this uh, much um, much shallower way where it was like offense is top six, bottom bottom six is strictly defense. Whereas now you've got a third line that is going to be dynamic, that is going to create a lot of offense, that's going to have a lot of talent on it. 
And so if you're one of the wingers, whether you're a Hoaglander or you're a Pearson or you're a Kuzmenko, um, a Pearson, and you're trying to jockey for spots, it's just get into the top nine and you'll be in a great spot. So I think that's what makes it unique. And I think the real battles will will uh, more so be on uh, on the fourth line fourth line with uh, fourth line wings with some of the names that we mentioned. On the back end, I'm going to be really interested interested to see though how exactly things shake out and, and can Jack Rathbone find a way to crack? I mean, he's going to crack the opening uh, night roster, I, I think, but is he going to be able to crack the top six right away on the back end? And I think part of that will hinge, as I'm sure we'll discuss, on whether a right side defender like OEL or Hughes or Dermot shifts over to the right side because as it stands right now on the left side with Hughes, OEL and Dermot, I don't think Rathbone's better than one of those guys right now, unless he has a monster camp. So it's going to be, I'm going to be interested to see how Rathbone performs and, and whether he can find a way to force Boudreaux to make a tough decision in, in, the, in the top six on the back end. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for me staying up front, I mean, if you're looking at the top nine, I mean, I, we can see it on paper that it's already going to be Pedersen, Horvat, Besser, Miller, Garland, Mikheyev, uh, Pearson, uh, Kuzmenko, Podkolzin is nine there. And, you know, Ken Hoaglander cracked that nine. Well, you know, we'll see what happens in camp. Um, you know, and I, I don't believe he's going to. I think there's a big percentage of the organization that believes he would be better served by playing heavy minutes in every role. And and Jim Rutherford has that history of kind of letting guys over-ripen a little bit at the American Hockey League level. It also helps him from a contract perspective because he's going into his third year of the entry-level deal. It deflates that number a little bit as well. So, you know, I think they probably want to put him in that role. And then if there's an injury, uh, they can automatically bring him up and insert him into a top-nine role if he shows what he can do down below. Uh, you know, then you've got names like, um, you know, four guys, I think, that are battling for that. Uh, for the bottom spot and the 13th forward, potentially, are Dickinson and Lazar, along with Lockwood and um, uh, who am I missing? Dakota Joshua, right? So I think those are those are kind of the, the easy things on paper right now. Can somebody knock off one of those guys? I don't, Justin think, Dowling? I, I don't think Lockwood's as strong of a contender for a spot as, as you think he is. Well, like, again, I mean, he, he could wind up being the 13th guy, although that's not necessarily the spot you want a young player in. But I think he's got a great opportunity. Uh, you know, I, there's a spot for him to win there. He doesn't need an out-of-body experience I to think win a fourth-line spot on this team. The re- well, the, the biggest reason is because he doesn't have the versatility right now to kill penalties. And if you're a guy who does not provide special teams value on, on either side, it's just it's a lot more challenging, especially because when you looked at some of the parts of uh, Lockwood's game last season, I loved how fast he was. I loved how physical he was. But watching him make plays in the defensive zone off um, off the wall and trying to orchestrate uh, breakouts reliably, it I, I just didn't see enough consistency there. And so for me, I think the fact that they added so much depth says a lot about how they view Lockwood. In my opinion, yeah, but it, but I the other thing is that I, I don't think Bruce Boudreaux is afraid to play some of those players in penalty killing roles, right? Like you don't need your fourth line player to play on the power play, obviously. So it just comes down to whether or not you can kill penalties and whether you know, like pick a name, right? I mean, we saw it with Pedersen last year. We've seen it with Horvat. We've seen it with Miller. 
Um, you know, Mikheyev's done a bit of it. Pearson obviously can kill penalties. Uh, if Dickinson's on the roster, he can kill penalties. Lazar, like, I think they've got enough options with six forwards that they feel comfortable about that I'm not sure that it's going to be as dependent as maybe as it was under Travis Green, right? Where you had to be that guy because he just wasn't going to put the other players in harm's way. I think, I think Boudreaux's not afraid to do that, right? And when you talk about his size and his speed, they need more of that. And they, you know, they need more of that in their fourth line, right? If they want that energy piece. So I don't think it's as far-fetched, you know, having had some conversations with management on the topic, I, I again, I'm not telling you he's going to make it or he's a slam dunk, but I, I don't think that if they believe he can do more for them on a fourth line, that all of a sudden he's going to be shelved behind a Dowling or a, or a Dries or a Di Giuseppe because they might believe he's got more penalty-killing utility because I'm not sure those guys necessarily get thrown into that role as well, right? So... I don't know. I don't think it's the stretch you think it is. That's fair. I mean, I I I still think that he has um, long odds just because there's so much competition. And when a guy has very limited offensive upside and he's not great defensively, even if even if we remove the penalty killing factor and we just yeah, but we're stick talking about a fourth line five, role. We're talking about a fourth line role. Can he be an energy type player? You still got to be able to be responsible defensively. Um, so, I mean, we'll see, right? I think it's a good point that you brought up in that PK utility doesn't matter as much as it did would have last season, where it was essential. But I, st- I still think that he's got to show more than just more than just being fast and um, being able to uh, add a physical presence. Um, well, you're, you're right. He's going to have to show that he's at least improved in one end of the ice, right? That either there's a little bit more yes. there offensively or he's a little bit more responsible defensively. But I don't think he's, I don't think he's got to go out and um, be perfect. I don't think he's got to go out and score, you know, three goals and five points in the preseason. I don't think that has to happen. But yeah, you're right. He he does need to show a step. Any young player, you know, Jack Rathbone included, even though he's certainly got a spot to lose versus the other way around. I think they've all got to show that they've improved in a key area. And and I think Will Lockwood's going to be able to show that. I just don't think he needs to hit an absolute home run like Nils Hoaglander did two years ago to make this team. I think he's got a little bit more of a, I think he's got a little bit more room. And, and again, I don't think he's got a spot given to him, but you know, I, I don't know that, like I said, all of a sudden a, a Dowling or a DiGiuseppe or a Dries is all of a sudden uh, everybody's going to be that comfortable with him that they're going to throw him in. I think there's a spot there to be won, is my point. Whereas I don't know that there's a spot in the top nine to be won based on contracts and what we saw from certain players last year. I think it's going to be much harder for Hoaglander to make it than it is necessarily for Will Lockwood to make it, given their top nine role versus bottom bottom line role. Um but uh, like I said, both players are going to need to show a certain level of improvement. Uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Quinn. There's two defensemen I want to talk about before we go here. Quinn Hughes and Tucker Pullman. Uh, what are you hearing and what are your expectations for Pullman? Because it appears he's going to be on the ice day one. Yeah, I think, and they're linked together, right? Because Pullman's health status, if he's healthy and the Canucks believe that he's that he's ready to play, they're all of a sudden deeper on the right side. And then I think there's a less ch- less of a chance that uh, that Hughes would shift over to the right side. And so I think one of the first things to, to sort of keep an eye on, one of the priorities that I suspect um, the coaching staff will have is to test out Pullman in a, in a bunch of different roles uh, to push him a little bit and see, hey, is this, hey, is this guy ready? Is he going to be healthy? Can we rely on him um, in, in an important role? And I think from there, they're going to have to 
um, then make a decision with what happens with Hughes. Now, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that whatever happens in training camp, we need to be careful about how closely we read into the D pairings. Um, just because training camp can sometimes, w- when you have, uh, say, the back end and you've got so many different options in terms of guys that you can shift to the left or right, a lot of different combinations, a lot of different possibilities that you have to account for depending on the health status of guys. When you have that sort of environment, NHL teams can sort of look at camp as a great opportunity to experiment and and just put guys in, in different roles that would be plan B or C options. And, and I'll give you an example. I was talking to someone in the league um, last week and they said, and they were talking about a, another NHL team and they mentioned that, hey, they know a player on that roster who can play both wing and center, and that team is going to play that forward at center in training camp. Now, if you read into that as an outside observer looking at training camp, you're going to go, wow, okay, so they're going to play that forward at center. But no, what's happened there is that player was already told by the team, hey, we're going to try you at center in training camp, but in reality, we're we're going to start the season with you on the wing. That's just so you get some experience there if we have to turn to you there midseason. I wonder if that's the sort of dynamic that the club has with Quinn Hughes in terms of getting him some reps there in training camp and preseason, just so it's an option throughout the season, depending on how things unfold. And it was interesting too, Farhan, you were there um, at the the golf tournament yesterday. Hearing Hughes talk about playing the right side, it seemed like to him, the impression was he he seemed to talk about it more as like a part-time thing and it's an option as opposed to, all right, that's what I'm expecting this season is to shift over permanently. So that's the one. He made a point of talking about his relationship with Luke Shen as well, right? And how Luke Shen stabilized his game and how much he's looking forward to playing with him. And um, yeah, you're 100% right. It, it didn't seem like the slam dunk that this could be a full-time option. But, you know, Travis Dermott has also shown an ability to play on the right side. And to me, if they want to get Jack Rathbone in this lineup, I don't think that should be a a completely foreign thought. And, and I, you know, I don't see why it's offensive that Travis Dermott could be your seventh defenseman, right. That, that has that flexibility to bounce in and out. And you could, you know, we've talked about this before that um, Luke Shen could be a player that could potentially help integrate Jack Rathbone into the lineup. And he could move and play certain shifts with Quinn Hughes and play certain shifts with Rathbone, depending on what you're going to wind up getting out of Tucker Pullman. But yeah, I totally agree with you. He viewed it as, as more of a, a part-time thing, more of an option than necessarily a permanent change to his career, which some of us are were looking at it as when we first saw the possibility of it. But uh, listen, we're going to have so much time to talk about Quinn Hughes. Really excited for training camp. Looking forward to getting into that as well. And looking forward to working with you, my man. So this should be a fun season. Um, you know, come up with a maniacal laugh, would you? No chance. But, um, but I will press <laughs> on the Blue Jays, and I probably will press on the fact um, with our age difference, and and I'll I'll definitely be cracking some jokes about the CFL being being irrelevant. Uh, I'll I'll tell I'll tell you that with the with the under fifty crowd, I, I've got those uh, I've got those um, shots ready. <laughs> All right, we'll have fun with that one. Listen, if you're looking for other pot options, Mike Greer, the general manager of the San Jose Sharks, is Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly's guest this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Bill Daly, meanwhile. The NHL's Deputy Commissioner joins the Wednesday Roundtable this week with Mike Russo, Jesse Granger, and Joe Smith on the Athletic Hockey Show. As for us, hey, thanks for listening to the new and improved VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review, and this offer still remains. Get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months. 
when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. Our show returns next week with Harm and I, and plus uh, Drancer and I will be hosting a live room next week, so be on the lookout for that. For Harmon and Drancer, I'm Farhan. Thanks for listening to the VanCast.